G'day everyone and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast, of course. Pretty good effort by the boys on the weekend against the reigning premiers. Ultimately not good enough to get us over the line, uh, but plenty to like about it and plenty to talk about. So without further ado, let's crack straight in, shall we? And welcome this Sunday, the whatever it is, 3rd of July, um, for another episode of the Weekend Wrap. Um, and what the hell is going on there? Why is that coming up black? We'll just do that. There we go. Um, and joining me today, uh, after a little hiatus, is Maccus. Ha- Maccus. <laughs> oh, Maccus. How you going? How you going, Maccus? <laughs> Mackers, Mackers, uh, just as bad as that uh, when the, uh, Sandy Roberts was uh, introducing uh, <laughs> Mrs. Cock, I mean Mrs. Dick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, dear. Uh, never mind. You'll have to, uh, people listening tonight will have to excuse the odd braid fight from me because uh, I'm just recovering from a little bout of illness, uh, which set me back a little bit. So uh, uh, hopefully uh, I'll remain on deck for the duration, but it won't be a two-hour love-in, that's for sure, Macca tonight, because I don't think I've got two hours in me. Jeez, the money just warming up, mate. (laughs) (coughs) Pardon me. All right, well, look, let's not waste any time, mate. Why don't we get... uh, See, I haven't even got the bloody scores up. What's going on here? Just let me do that. How have you been travelling anyway, mate? Been going all right? Yep, yep, uh... You know, as you know, and uh, just for the listeners out there, I've been uh, diagnosed. I've got a cancer in my head, which uh, which I've had removed the tumour. Yeah, but it's one in a, one in a million, um, yeah. and it's also just something like, like pesticide. So my head gets uh, radiotherapy every day of the week, and I've had seventeen of them and got thirteen to go. So um, I intend to beat it. So um, of course you do, and you will. Do. Not many people do, but I'm going to. No, no, you will, mate. Uh, If anyone can do that, you can, no doubt about it. And uh, uh, you've got uh, the thousands upon thousands of Crowcast listeners behind you as well, mate, no doubt. They're a good bob out there. Ah, Some of them are all right. Um, Speaking of which, um, and not to be too morbid, but uh, you would have played a bit with and uh, against Neil Curley, I would have thought, Matt. Um, yes, I actually, um, he was a little bit too strong for me. Yeah, yeah. What What were your impressions of him as a as a bloke? Oh, look, he's a great bloke. He was really a he was a man's man. Um, just no kidding around. If he didn't, if he didn't like what you were doing, it, it, he didn't just say I don't like what you're doing. There's a few adjectives around him, and done very very forcefully as well. Um, by the same token, he was a very, very good man if you're doing things right. Yeah. Now, was he at West Torrance one year? Yeah. 
Yes, he was. Yeah, he, he was. was. He was down there, and I still remember the pre-season training that um, <laughs> uh, players, we had to jump over a, um, well, there were two petrol cans, uh, I suppose a those bigger, big ones, about forty-four gallon drums. Too. Yeah, and they had a, um, and they had a, a wooden bar across it, and your players had to jump over it. And um, most of the players could only do it three times, four times. Yeah, and I can remember clearly saying, "You weak mob of piss weak mob," <laughs> etc., etc. And again, you know, the guy's nearly fifty. Yeah, and, uh, and he. And you think I think he jumped twenty one times in succession. Unbelievable! You can see it's I mean, a pain, but he would just do it. Just he, he would just keep doing it. Yeah. Now, now you know how weak you are. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I, I never met a person who uh, played with or for him that wasn't inspired by him. Um, you know, I mean, for him to be able to get a basket case like. Um, the bays were at the time up and, and to a flag was no mean feat. I mean, that was a party club until he got there and he straightened him out pretty quick. And, um, you know, I, it, it's such a, such a shame in many respects that, um, you know, I, I think the Victorian media have done as well as they're probably equipped to do in terms of honouring him over the course of the weekend. But when you compare how they honoured EJ compared to um, Neil Curley uh, is chalk and cheese. And to be quite frank, Neil Curley was every bit the player, every bit the personality and every bit the influence on his uh, state as EJ was. And I, I, I must admit, I've been a little bit underwhelmed by the coverage this weekend of Neil Curley um, just because I think it's touched around the edges um, but it hasn't really highlighted just how much of an influence the man was on, on South Australian football. Do you agree with that? Yep, I agree with everything you've said. And uh, it boils down to the fact that the uh, AFL is still really the VFL and the SNFL, um, strong as it was, is look, was looked at as a second-rate uh, competition by the Victorians, even if we did beat them in State of Origins. Um, uh, I agree with everything you said about Curls. He was he was every bit as good as Witten, no doubt about it. And uh, I'll say this: I don't know what Witten was like to other other, other uh, men or people, but uh, Curly, I reckon he would have shaped many a guy who would have gone off the rails. He shaped their life at the right in the right direction. Yeah, and I was shocked. Um, and I, I must admit, I went back and watched the uh, open mic interview we did with Sheen about what was that about eight years ago, I reckon. And I was shocked to be reminded that he wasn't an inaugural inductee into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. I just couldn't believe that. He wasn't in the first tranche of uh, of inductees into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. I mean, that that just boggles my mind. It really does. Well, never be surprised that the VFL bias and the SANFL neglect thing. It's just yeah. there. Yeah, it's a shame. And, look, I don't want to make too big a deal of it. I actually thought even Adelaide's tribute to Neil at the beginning of the Melbourne game was a little bit underwhelming, um, considering the impact that he had on the formation of our footy club. Um, you know, uh, Victorians became very aware of Neil when he started doing his boundary riding and all the rest of it. We'd known Neil for 30 years by that stage. And, um, you know, it... 
It's probably fair to say that Neil, along with a couple of others, were integral in the Crows even existing. Um, and I just, I just felt it was a little bit underwhelming. Well, everything you said is true about uh, he was uh, one of the driving forces for the Adelaide Crows to exist. Uh, but having said that, I, I actually liked what they did. It was, it was uh, underdone, uh, and I think I liked it for that particular reason because that way it seemed very sincere and genuine rather That's than trashy and overwhelming. So That's true. It, I just thought it was very direct. And I liked it like that. Yeah, okay. Um, fantastic that they're going to have a state funeral for him. I'd imagine uh, it's going to be extremely well attended, and so it should. And um, it's, uh, yeah, um, just a shame that he uh, went out on those terms, uh, but he will be fondly remembered. Anyway, Mac, uh, speaking of remembering things, why don't we try and remember this week's results, shall we? How's that for a segue? That was pretty good, I thought. Um, all right. Well done. All bad. All right. We started off with uh, the Lions reasserting themselves um, by 41 points over Western Bulldogs, 16-12-108 to 9-13-67. Um, the Lions, with Zorka going down early, were still far too strong uh, for the Pups. Well, they had their ass kicked last week by 10 goals by Melbourne, they but they bounced back very well. And... Mm. Uh, what I highlight with the dogs is they've got a good middle, they've got Norton up forward, and there's not much else. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're one short up forward, I think. Um, you know, the defence is serviceable, but um, they didn't really have the timber to uh, to combat uh, the Lions. And I, I, I was a bit disappointed with their midfield. I, I felt like the Lions really were able to brush them off a bit. And given Zorko's... Um, Going down early, I, I thought the Lions might have um, might have been able to get them in the midfield, but uh, the line, uh, sorry, the Dogs could have got them in the midfield, but the Lions really held strong there. Well, Neil did well, but um, I think Beveridge, I think he's not as good a coach as he thinks he is. Um, <laughs> he had Bontempelli in the middle most of the game, and um, early in the season when the Dogs were going very well, he used to have Bontempelli up forward. Because yeah. he's got enough good midfielders in McRae, um, Dunkley, Trelaw, etc. Yeah. He, yeah. And, uh, and what he was doing, he actually really wasted McRae in, in the process because McRae was either not on the ground or sometimes in the middle, sometimes on a wing or sometimes on a half-forward flank. And Bond and Pelly was really uh, taking most of the middle. And uh, by doing that, he robbed himself of, uh, of a forward. So, yeah. uh, no, Beveridge is not as smart as he thinks he is. I agree with you, Mac. I think sometimes it gets a bit too cute. Um, St Kilda bouncing back after a shocking loss to St D the week before, getting up by 15 points. Carlton would be terribly disappointed with that. 10-18-78, Carlton to the Saints, 14-9-93. Yeah, interesting thing there was the fact that um, if you look, one would have thought before the game, the danger in the game for St Kilda was... Uh, up at full forward, McKay and yep. uh, Kerno. Kerno, yeah. And they got, and they, and they scored three between them. If you go down the other end, the tallest for St Kilda kicked nine. Yeah. So um, there's a bit of a turnaround there. And uh, Sinclair played one of the best defence games I've ever seen anybody play in terms of 37 positions and and he finding a body most of the time and really setting up their play. And uh, yep. he. Yeah, last week he was. Uh, they even put a tagger on him on the uh, as a back pocket, uh, yeah. and they kept him down. And 
accordingly the saints went down but you let sinclair off the leash and you're in trouble mm, very true um speaking of surprising wins uh and sydney now in uh a bit of strife at the bottom end of the eight uh essendon 15 5 nine point winners over sydney 12 14 86 and bad kicking by sydney and uh, uh the bombers taking their chances uh got them over the line yeah, actually, it was a good game to watch, uh, watch this particular game. And, uh, um, yeah, you, you know, you thought that Sydney would win this game, but um, I, I don't know where Essendon found the heart and the run that they did, but they they played a very good brand of footy. And um, in the end, um, I mean, I've got to say, Sydney did themselves in a little bit by uh, kicking a hell of a lot of points. They had mm. a lot more scoring shots. Um, and you did, you know, 26 to 20, I think it was. Um yeah. And the usual look crows type thing, how you how you lose, but um, no, good luck to Essendon. And uh, they actually, I thought they played very very well, and uh, they found a fire actually. The bloke in the back pocket, uh, D'Ambrosia, um, he, he they got him, I think, in the mid uh, season draft, and yep. he, I think he had twenty odd possessions, and he's a beautiful left foot kick. Yeah, all right, just right, just hit players every time. Uh, the Cats showing that uh, North Melbourne, as bad as they are, still weren't as bad as Port Adelaide in that grand final. North only losing by 1-1-2 um, rather than 1-1-9. Uh, Cats 21-18, 144. North 5-2-32. You could just about close uh, Arden Street down right now, couldn't you? Yeah, I think there's nothing to talk about there. They're not worth talking about. Yeah. Um, the next one... Um, oh... Gold Coast just letting this one go. 8 14 62, five points in the end. Collingwood 9 13 67. Stewie Jew be disappointed with this one. This would have got them right within a sniff of the eight, um, and now they've got their work cut out. Yeah, he was fitting chips. They, they actually went out to a 15, eight, I think an 18 point lead early. Um, and uh, But Nick Dacos was outstanding in defence. I think he had 37 mm. possessions in defence. And. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tuke Miller. I mean, he he was outstanding for uh, Gold Coast. It was it, it was a little war of attrition for the rest of the game, and Collingwood just had those uh, young players actually. Uh, Ginnivan kicked three, and he I think they were all first half goals. And Dacos absolutely controlling the play from the back. Uh, I mean, yeah, you got two young players like that of that stand, and that spells well for their future. What doesn't spell well for the rest of the year for them is Darcy Moore went down with a, a knee injury. I don't know how bad it is, but did yeah, not look. it just looked like a well, it looked like a hyperextension. So I don't think it was an ACL. I think it might have just been a medial or a meniscus or something. So it might only be a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, definitely not an ACL. I don't think because it was a hyperextension. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, um, the Tigers um, shrugging off a dogged Eagles by thirty-five points, twenty goals, eight. 128 to 13, 15, 93. The Eagles having to uh, to combat everything, even a mid-air bloody engine failure on the flyover, for God's sakes. How's this season going? <laughs> yeah, I know you're not going well when that happens, that's for certain. No, that's right. Just stay home for the rest of the year. Um, the Giants, uh, a strong win over Hawthorne. Wasn't that terrible conditions? 11, 6, 72. 22 points over Hawthorne, 7 8 50. It was a good, very solid match, but jeez. I heard something like 87 
soccer's off the ground, a world record or something, and that was halfway through the last quarter, I think. Yeah, and but it still came back to that even in those conditions, uh, the classy players for GWS stood out. Um, the, you know, the uh, Whitfields, the Tarantos, the Cornelios, um, they, you know, players that they play, were playing in their proper positions rather than when they were playing before, when they were playing yeah. out of out of position. So, yeah. and- um, that GWS, it's pretty. I think they wasted it several matches early in the season um, when the, uh, the then coach was playing uh, Cornelio up forward rather than on the ball, etc. So, oh. I think this coach has got, got them playing in the right positions and they're playing a lot better. He probably yeah. won't get the job, but um, he's uh, done well- a good job. My tip heard has uh, ruled himself out, says he doesn't want it, or so the clubs say that he doesn't want it. I don't know whether that's ducks and drakes or whether that's valid, but it doesn't look like it's going to be heard. Um, it's smelling like Clarkson to me. It does. It, 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 it should be like, Clarkson. starting to smell like Clarkson. <laughs> and Clarkson getting a hold of a list like that, oh, look out. Look yeah, out. I'll tell you what, that would be a very good side if Clarkson gets hold of them. Yeah, I reckon. Um, and then the last game, uh, a very entertaining game, I have to say. Uh, the Dockers, in the end, prevailing by eight points, 15-9-99 to Port Adelaide, 14-7-91. And, Macca, I know, our, uh, our shared um, dislike of all things Port, but I've got to say... Isn't it? Wasn't that a reminder of what football looks like when a team just decides to try and score? Because that's what got Port Adelaide back into the game in the last quarter. They they put all their good players in the positions they needed to, and they just decided stuff defence. We're just going to try and score, and it was the old Malcolm Blight um, theory of score more than the opposition and bar a couple of mistakes in front of goal, they would have won that game yeah. after being 40 points down Yeah, two bad two bad misses there cost them the game Yeah, it was I just great yeah, to I'm, watch I'm an attacking I'm, game. So, <laughs> I'm just so sad that they lost <laughs> Oh no, look, all that aside I, I think it, it was a reminder of how defensive our game has become in so many ways because you don't often see a game like that where a team just decides that they're just going to go all out attack and they got a couple early which gave them some belief I don't care what you say about Charlie Dixon I'd have him in my team any day of the week um, because the bloke plays with heart every day of the week and um, he got them going and uh, like I said a, a couple of un- like. You'd want the ball in Gray's hands. You'd want the ball in Marshall's hands kicking those shots for goal. And the fact that they missed them was probably either nerves or exhaustion. I'm not sure what. Probably nerves on Marshall's behalf. Um, but uh, Frio got away with one there. Yeah, look, Frio played very, very well. But yeah, like you said, um, sometimes when teams are in a position where they're unlikely to win the game and they... They take off all the breaks. They, they take mm-hmm. off all the restrictions that they have on the players. They take off uh, all the players dropping back. They, in other words, they just say, just go for it. And yep. uh, if, if, you, you know, if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter. Just go for it. And um, obviously that, that was a issue with Port Adelaide because uh, they were never going to win it before that. And all of a sudden it, it just looked like they'd changed jumpers, didn't it? 
Well, they just forgot about tagging blokes, um, you know, and they went with the old adage is if you get the ball first and your opposition don't get it. You know, and blokes like Aish and that, they dropped out of the game in that last quarter. Aish had had, like, some ridiculous amount of touches up to three-quarter time. Um, hardly got, got a sniff in the last quarter, and it was simply because his opponent decided to go and get the agate. So um, uh, I, I enjoyed the game, and uh, I enjoyed the comeback, and I enjoyed that it ultimately failed. <laughs> well, All right. the thing about it, of course, the consequences are big because of... Uh, 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 you know, I don't think they can make the eight now with the, with the draw they've got no. and the number of games remaining. It, it would be really phenomenal if they made it. And uh, what does that mean for Kenny? Well, I mean, it probably means he only gets a three-year extension instead of five, I guess. Let's have a look at the shall we? Let's have a look at the ladder. history, they will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Melbourne, uh, game clear on top, 48 points. Uh, Geelong on 44 with Brisbane and Frio round out the top four. Uh, we've got Carlton and Collingwood making a bit of a run, currently on 40 points. Richmond in the eight, along with St Kilda, uh, Sydney sorry, on 36. St Kilda out of the eight, pardon me, on percentage, also on 36 points. Western Bulldogs only a game behind, uh, but then we've got the Suns and Port, two games behind. Um... I would say of the two of those, Gold Coast probably have the slightly easier run home than Port Adelaide, so uh, that was such a crucial loss for Port in terms of them getting in. Um, the Giants on 20, you would think, are too far out of it. Uh, Adelaide on 20 also. Then we've got Hawthorne and Essendon on 16. West Coast on 8 and North Melbourne um, barely still in the competition. Just um, last thing, I'm a North Melbourne fan. Would you give them a priority pick? I wouldn't. I'll tell oh, you no. why I wouldn't. Because they they picked the wrong guy for coach. They kicked their good players out. Why should they get a priority pick? Yeah. Uh, look, I uh, I had uh, a very able companion in Mick um, come on last week, uh, Macca, and and fill in at a in a pinch. Um, and we were talking a little bit about this, and I, there's no way that I would give North Melbourne a priority pick for those very reasons. It's, uh, the fact that they didn't take either Adelaide or Richmond's deal for pick one last year um, was weak, and I know they would have got some backlash in terms of not taking a number one, but they could have got three picks out of that. They need players desperately, desperately they need players, um, and they could have done with three, three first-round picks out of that draft um, you know they've made some terrible list management decisions um, Noble won't be there next year I wouldn't mind betting that Adam Simpson uh, is there next year um, coaching them and uh, if they get a priority pick I think it'll be a travesty to be honest yeah agreed um, so look that was the round. Of course, we're here to talk about Adelaide and Melbourne. Before we do, don't forget, if you're in the live audience, we are able to get you on the on the uh, podcast. So don't forget, you can put your hand up and we'll have you on at any time if you want to have something to say. Um, uh, don't be shy. We're live and interactive. Uh, thanks to everyone who also is joining us either on chat in discord or also on the youtube chat don't forget if you are watching on youtube and you're liking what you're hearing 
Um, give us a like and a subscribe. I'd really love to get up to 500 subs by the end of the season. Um, really want to get up to 1,000 subs so we can start doing a little bit more community stuff. But uh, unless we have a surge real late, we're not getting to 1,000 subs this season, mate. But uh, 500 will be good. We're not far away from that. Um, all righty. So as mentioned before, Mac... 10 5, 65, 30 or 29 points in the end. We went down um, to the D's, 14 10, 94. What were your first impressions of the match, mate, overall? I loved, one, there were things I liked about the game and there were things I didn't like about the game. What I liked about the game was that as an overall team, um, and ignoring certain individuals, but um, as an overall team, we were there 100% in body, mind and, and spirit and having a real 100% crack. The one thing, um, leaving individuals out of it again, uh, the one thing I did, really didn't like was uh, we did it again in the last four or five minutes of the game. We allowed them to kick four goals and make uh, a great effort look uh, and look like an ordinary result with 29-point margin. So... Um, that was, a, that was the thing that probably distressed me the most about the game was that. Um, there were certain individual performances that were very, very good. There were certain individual performances that we'll talk about that weren't very, very good. Um, but I also, there were certain things that Nick's did which I didn't like as well, so we'll cover those as we go along. Yeah. Um, it's one thing that I'll certainly grant uh, the coaching staff at Adelaide this year and the playing group is that it's not often we, we've come on and said they didn't try. Um, you know, we've had fade-outs and we've had, you know, one or two games where we've been blown out a bit. But by and large, this group has shown that they're capable of playing with heart, uh, sustained pressure uh, and desire. So, And that's a good trait to have. If you're going to start your blueprint with something, that's not a bad blueprint to start with. Um, you know, you have a look at... Um, you know, teams like GWS and Gold Coast who've had a lot of talent um, as they've been building a list and what we've said about those teams often is that they lack heart um, so we've, we've started the other way, we've got plenty of heart we've got plenty of players who show heart um, and toughness and are able to give um, multiple repeat efforts and put pressure on etc etc um, we just don't have the talent and the polish at the moment now whether that's personnel gap or whether that's uh maturity and experience it's probably a bit of one a bit of the other um but uh, but but it is it is at least at least you can you can endure this rebuild knowing that you're going to see an effort and uh, we did definitely see an effort against a team that were up and about after last week's resurgent win over their main rivals um, and to be honest with you I expected us to get blown off the park um, because I thought Melbourne were were back and they wanted to make a statement but to our credit we kept them in check for a long period during the game Yeah and I, I still think that um, with a couple of things done differently we might have even gone on to win the game but um, and that sounds funny when you get beaten by 29 points. But that 29 points is not a true representation of how the game was played. And, you know, as I say, the last four or five minutes, four goals, and uh, you've got what was a mighty wrestle uh, and, and played, as you said, with the great heart, great spirit, great effort. Uh, and it 
the, as I said, the final uh, margin didn't represent that because of that last four, four or five minutes. Yeah. Um, as we usually do, let's have a quick look at selection. Um, massive outcry about Lockie Murphy getting selected. Um, I would probably have agreed with that. I was I, Not so much because I thought necessarily that Newchurch should have got a run. I just didn't like the fact that Lockie Murphy was put in on the back of not much and and the reasons that Nick gave when he was put under the microscope to me were just irrelevant. It seemed like lip service was being paid there and um, I, I just didn't like his inclusion. Uh, to me, it could have been Lockie Gallant, it could have been Tarek Newchurch, it could have been one or two others. Um Braden Cook for another one um, Lockie Murphy I just the way we had set up once you want to me Mac and I don't know what you think about this I'll ask you I guess um, once you select Riley in there to go with Texan and um, and um, Darcy you really really need uh, someone at their feet and we still lack someone at their feet we played Jones Road too high Lockie Murphy always plays high. Neither of those, I think, between Murphy, McHenry, and Rowe, they've kicked like two goals nine or something before this match for the season. So not none of them have got small forward credentials. You know they've all got their strengths. Lockie Murphy isn't bad around stoppage. J- uh, James Rowe isn't bad on transition when he plays high. He's got good smarts. Uh, but we needed a genuine small forward to get in there to be at the feet of those big lads, and, and we just didn't have one. Well, you're quite right. Um, if we had a ranking, we would have won the game. There's no doubt about that. Because um, yeah. the, the opportunities were there. Um, also, um, got to be very critical of Rochelle as well. At the moment, I don't know what's driving Rochelle or not driving Rochelle because, um, you know, the, the guy started off his career, and don't get me wrong, he's going to be a very good player in time. But... Um, his first two games were outstanding, and he's gradually got worse and worse, and he had a break, and I thought that would freshen him up, and he's just done nothing, absolutely nothing. So we can talk about Murphy, but I think Rochelle's the problem because of the fact that he is the man that in round ones and round two would have, would have been snaffling goals and, and kicking goals, but um, he's, just, he's just not doing it. So can you tell me what you think Rochelle's role is in the team at the moment? I have no idea because he's not doing anything. Exactly. exactly. I wonder whether he knows what his role is because it's not obvious to me. He's not playing deep enough to be uh, a crumbing small forward. He, no, he's we not. Seem to, we seem to have all these high half forwards running around um, and no one designated to be at the feet of the tools and... You know, look, I will I will have more of an issue with Murphy than Rochelle simply because Murphy's got nearly 70 games under his belt. And, um, you know, Murphy could be selected in other roles, like if you wanted to play him around stoppage, but we're not selecting him on that basis, and therefore he shouldn't be in the team. He did nothing in the twos to suggest he should have been in the team. And uh, I just feel like Nix's reason that he just added experience. Well, I mean, 
I think Murphy got what nine touches for the game. So yeah, what's, very the, good. what's the point in that? It, there's just no. He's not offering us anything. And I, I would I would say to you that nine or ten Braden Cook um, uh, touches might have been more valuable, or Lockie Gallant touches might have been more valuable than nine or ten uh, Lockie Murphy touches. So I mean that was the one that they got sprayed about, and I think they were justified in getting sprayed about. Um, the other two, um, uh, Chase Jones keeping his spot on the uh, for Will Hamill with Lockie Scholl coming on to the, as the medi-sub. That was probably realistic. Uh, Riley coming in, I didn't mind that at all. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to understand what Nix's selection philosophy is at the moment. And, uh, well, the interesting, well, the interesting thing about that, Pete, is you, you say that. Well, obviously, the rest of the public did as well because... I've never seen a situation before where you've got the coach coming out and going on to every everybody uh, station around trying to explain what, what what they're expecting and why they haven't brought New Church in and why they've why they've brought Murphy in. And uh, no, if you think you've done the right thing, you don't. You as a coach, you don't go around and do that. You just play play your players. That worried me on a couple of levels, mate. Because um, why? Why does the why is the club so sensitive at the moment to that situation? Mm. Well, that's like, my point. I mean, it, it's all like yes, there was huge outcry. It's not as if there's not been outcry every time David McKay got selected for the last five years of his career, and they never came out and justified that. Why is it all of a sudden? Uh, to me, the club has become very, very sensitive to their supporter base lately um, and that bothers me because it seems to me that we're we've gone into justification mode um, whereas if we had the courage of our convictions as a, as a coaching panel and a selection committee we'd just let the let the results do the talking, do you know what I mean? So that's, well, that's exactly, my, exactly my point I, I, if if you've got, if you as a coach genuinely think you have it one hundred percent right, and it's and it's the right thing to do, you don't have to justify yourself. You talk about it after the game, maybe, but you don't go around trying to justify it before the game. Yeah, yeah. And people in the chat rightly say low crowd numbers are driving that. Yes, absolutely. But low crowd numbers, um, like Nick's coming in and justifying why Lockie Murphy is going to play instead of say Tariq Newchurch is not going to bring more people into the game. And playing no. a, a recognisable brand of football is going to bring people in, and I think the fact that we're still getting 30,000 is because the players are having a dip, um, and so, you know, you're not walking away feeling ripped off because no-one tried. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I think at this stage of our rebuild, we're, you know, three years into Nix's tenure, and to me, I don't, I don't see that there's been a lot of improvement in the last 12 months. And not only that, there's been some mystifying selections, not only this week, but over the course of the season. And not, not only that, a lot of senior players coming out in support of other senior players. And I haven't heard a senior player speak glowingly of a junior for the last 
I don't know how long. And it, I wonder whether there's a bit of a fracture between or a bit of a siege mentality going on with the current senior group because they all seem to be circling the wagons and supporting each other at the moment. Yeah, well, you're talking about like the Crouch situation, for example. Yeah. Um, yep. And that, uh, I think it was Duday made the point D- that he thought that uh, Crouch should have been in the side. Duday's uh, interview was horrific. Um, Tex Walker uh, made comments uh, as well, saying, you know, um, he hopes Crouch gets back in where he deserves to be and all this sort of stuff. What are they looking at? What are they, what are they actually... What what message are they trying to send the future of the club that at the moment they don't think that they deserve to be there because there are blokes in the twos that deserve to be there that are senior mates? And as a junior, I'd be looking at Matt Crouch and Luke Brown and these blokes and Brody Smith, for example, uh, and even Tom Diday on his form at the moment and saying, well... What's he doing that's um, better than what I could possibly bring? Well, that's a very good point. I mean, Crouch is a bit of an exception in the sense, and, and, a, and I just want to be a little bit controversial about Crouch because yeah. of the fact that um, Crouch is a bloody good footballer, and um, but he's playing in the wrong club at the wrong time. And if you, if you go back to 2017, I, I, I went back and I checked his stats back in 2017 when he was the club's best and fairest, and he was doing the same ratio of, of uh, kicks and handballs, and roughly uh, nearly almost, he's getting almost, well, he's probably get, he's getting as much now as he was then. So, but, but if you look at what he was playing it, he had Jacobs in the ruck who could actually direct the ball, he was probably the main receiver of the ball, and running alongside him was Brad Crouch, who, who would uh, burst through like a bull, or Sloan, who at that stage five years ago had a lot of speed in his legs. So he had a totally different mid- uh, midfield and a totally different ruckman. In other words, he was a very, very minimal player. He hasn't changed, but everything around him has changed, which leaves him as an odd ball sitting there. So... Um, it, we obviously can't play him, so the only thing we've got left to do is to trade him. But the problem is if you don't play him, his trade value is going to be worse. Uh, and, look, you know, a guy gets 40 possessions in the in the twos and he gets it again the next week, 42 possessions. I mean, the guy can play football. It's not about that. It's just that um, he – what we've got at the moment is a ruckman that can't uh, – you know, he had uh, – what he had, some massive amount of – uh, hit out, uh, but uh, sixteen out of forty-eight actually went to one of our people, one of our players. So that's that's the first thing. Then secondly, you've got uh, Laird, who's not a speedster, and you've got Keys, uh, who's more of a tough guy bursting out. Uh, so you know, if you put Crouch in there, he's he doesn't. First of all, the ball's not likely to come to him, and secondly, he's not. Hasn't got the uh, the speeches to, to distribute to. He might be very good for Essendon or somebody like that, where they've got fast players in the middle. But uh, uh, he's actually a, a victim of circumstances in some ways. Uh, I can see where you're coming from, Mecca, and I know you and I vary a bit on this one. I can certainly see where you're coming from. Um, what's going on with Mecca's audio? Someone asked. It's because the internet has taken offence to uh, 
what Mick is saying. <laughs> um, look, there's some there's some subtle differences between 2017 and now with Matt Crouch. First of all, Matt Crouch was getting a lot more contested ball in 2017. He was a designated inside midfielder. Whereas if you look at his stats over the last 12 months, he is being played more outside. He's not our go-to inside midfielder anymore, or he's certainly not getting the stats to represent that. And his use on the outside is no good at all. I'll point you to a, a patch in the second quarter where um, the Crows did get their midfield set up right, and Harry Schomburg got three, um, three or four sharks in a row off of off, um, O'Brien's uh, rucking, and every one of those, every one of those, and it actually stood out to me this week as something that I think that they did change this week. Every one of those that Schoenberg got, he handballed forward, right? So one of the the key differences between that sort of setup and what Matt Crouch does is that Berry and Schoenberg look to move the ball forward in congestion. Matt Crouch does not look to move the ball forward in congestion under pressure, right? And the other... and, I think and a lot of things should be playing. The problem I'm saying is that uh, put him, put him in the, put him in the right team with a good ruckman and speedy uh, players around him, and he'll be a good player. No, but no, no. But I, I think you're right. wrong. I think you're wrong because I don't think Matt Crouch. I think he's gotten in such a rut in terms of his, <coughs> pardon me, ability to distribute the ball in a, in an attacking manner, in an aggressive manner that everything he does is defensive. Everything that he does is backwards. It, it's risk minimization because of his own uh, limitations. You know, Sam Berry will power through a contest with his hardcore... <coughs> pardon me, I'm sorry for my coughing tonight. Um, with his, with his you know, strong core and, and get a handball running forward. Harry Schoenberg started to show uh, glimpses of his form of last year in being creative with his use of the ball and was always looking to move the ball forward. Um, Matt Crouch doesn't do that. Um, And the biggest reason why Matt Crouch doesn't do that, Macca, is because he doesn't have the power to get any sort of separation. And so he gets shut down um, real quick. So his baseline is to go backwards. Well... All I can know, I knew it would be controversial, but when I look back at what, where, why he was the club champion back in 2017 and what, and what was he doing in 2017, it hit me what he was surrounded by as opposed to what he's surrounded by now. And so I think that, and, and we'll never have what he needs. So he obviously has to be a trader in the year. You shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have a situation where the team has to cater for the bloke getting the ball. That's not the way footy's played, Macca. The, the, the other thing that Matt Crouch used to do in 2017 was he was able to hit 20 to 30 metre passes on those diagonals. It used to be one of, the, one of his strengths, the fact that he was able to change lanes with those passes by foot. He doesn't do that anymore. <coughs> he doesn't do it anymore because he can't get free. Well, I knew, I knew this was going to be controversial, but all I'm saying is I still think that he'll be a good player in the right team. Not, and that's not our team. 
Yeah, I I just don't think um, I, I don't think it's the players around Matt's fault that Matt doesn't fit in the Adelaide Crows team. Uh, I think that's very, that's very that's victim blaming. <laughs> um, you know, you you can't point your finger at Laird and and Keys and say, well, you're not quick enough, and that's why Matt's not any good. I mean. Laird has a similar no. quality with regards to his disposal out of the contest. Laird's disposal out of the contest is, is is sketchy at best. And that's why I enjoy seeing the younger lads like Berry and Schomburg this week and Saligo at times and, and these lads that are actually comfortable moving through congestion, keeping their hands clear and trying to put the ball to the advantage of another player instead of just going out the back door all the time, taking the cheap option, pushing us back and forcing us to hack kick. We've seen that from the Adelaide Crows for years now, that we don't have enough explosive pace and we don't have any dynamism in that midfield combination. So we end up flicking it out the back and hack kicking across our bodies to a bloody, you know, a a nil or draw contest at high half forward. I agree with you. No, I totally agree, and I'm not, I'm not um, and I'm not pushing for Crouch to go into the side. I'm just saying. But what? We, so why? Why I raise that, it is, I just say he can't fit into our side because of what the rest of the side is. Therefore, he has to go. That's what I'm really saying. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the side. It's got to do with him because he would have the same issue at any other team because he doesn't he doesn't move the ball forwards, Macker. He moves the ball backwards. That's okay if you're moving it backwards to Merritt, who then then kicks it down, uh, down down the field. But anyway, let's move on. Yeah, doesn't work like that. Right, look, I admire your um, your staunch uh, defensive of Matty Crouch. And look, I'm not saying that Matt's a terrible player. He's not a terrible player. You don't get the ball forty odd times two weeks in a row if you're a terrible player. You know, no no doubt about it. But he has physical limitations that he hasn't been able to work on that it, and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to improve that have seen his limited weapons diminish over the last couple of seasons to the point where he can't get any separation from the contest whatsoever. He's got no strength. He's got no core strength. He's got no pace whatsoever. And he doesn't do any defensive running. So once the ball leaves congestion, he's a liability. You don't see him in link-up chains, Macker, at all. How many times do you see Matt Crouch offer, offer an option? It, he's, he's just running to the next contested situation. That's his primary yeah. focus. And you can't have what a I midfielder wanna, like that. What I want to see is I'd love to see the coach come out and say that, he's not, that, that he, do, he doesn't fit in our rotations at the moment and he's a damn good player and he'll be up straight at the end of the year. That's right. And look, you know, um, this is the difference, I think, between the club as it is at the moment and as it was in the days of Neil Curley. Because our club over the last 10 years has not been comfortable in publicly making those hard decisions, right? We, and, you know, it started with Scotty Thompson, you know, and it's, it would go through a bunch of players, you know, Richie Douglas. Um, you know, is another Rory Sloan more recently is another, you know, Matt Crouch yep. now, where the club is not able publicly 
to make those decisions. They're, they're acting more like a, um, a corporation with an eye to the share market, our share market being the court of public opinion and bums on seats, and less about a football club, um, you know, that knows the decisions it needs to make and has the courage of its convictions to make those decisions and allow the um, the results to fuel bums on seats because it was those results that got bums on seats in the first place back in the day. Remember, you know, um, after the initial oh, yeah. after the initial hysteria wore off and we were getting belted every week, we were still getting, you know, um, we were still getting uh, uh, people going to games because the club was willing to make decisions, but and acting like a football club. It's not acting like a football club anymore, and it hasn't for a long, long time. So I agree with you. I, 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 the coach does need to come out and say that. But that's what, what bothers you to do. Yeah, because what, I'm sick and tired of saying, you know, we, we put him back in the twos and get him to improve his game. No, he plays a certain way, and it's not going to ever fit into our game. And yeah. But I'm not saying that it won't fit into somebody else's, because if you get the ball that many times. So um, the coach, if, I wish he'd stop bullshitting and just say that, come out and say it. Yeah, and this is what happens when, and this is the problem that Nick's faces, I think. And we were always going to get to this point because Nick's number one mandate was to reunite the club, to repair the culture because it was completely fractured. You know, the club did what it could. It got rid of all the old wood and all the rest of it. Um, But it was up to Matthew Nix and Dan Jackson and a few others to rebuild the culture and to re and look, you don't get a team coming out and putting in the effort that it did on the weekend and doing so most weeks of the season if they're not, you know, playing for the same. They're not singing from the same hymn book. They definitely are singing from the same hymn book. But I reckon there'd be some young lads at the moment going, "Hang on a minute, what's going on here?" There are some blokes that are just not performing, and they seem to be measured differently. So I, I, I think Nix has achieved what he needed to. The measure of Matthew Nix over the next 12 months is whether he can now turn the page and say, all right, boys, we've got this back on track. We've got a good base of work ethic, and now we need to toughen up and make some hard decisions. And whether he can bring them along for that part of the journey will be the measure of whether Matthew Nix is a very good coach or whether he was just a good man-manager. And nothing wrong with Nix just being a good man-manager, but if that's all he is, then we will need a new coach to get us to the next level, in my opinion. Well, I agree with everything you've said so far, and I don't think we're really disputing all that much about Matt. No, we're not. No, we're not. Because because uh, my point is I think he's got value, but not in our team. Um, and I'd like to instead of like Nick's instead of bullshitting away about you know he's got to improve this he's got to improve that we, he, he can't come back in our side and be useful he, but he could be in another team and we should be we should make that very clear and we should be talking to other clubs about trading now Macca just to break it up um, we've got Seas Girl who wants to have a chat uh, first time I think for Seas Girl you're on mute there at the moment but uh, take yourself off mute to Seas Girl how are you going Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah, loud we and clear. Clear. loud and clear. Love to hear it. Thanks, guys. Look, um, I, I purely just came on board tonight to say 
you very much for the tickets um, that I won uh, for the game. Um, it allowed my brother's whole family to actually come as family for the first time. Um, and my seven-year-old nephew actually got to get to go to his first game. So thank you very much. Jesus, how many bloody tickets did we give you, Nikki? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, full, full, full um, disclosure, Seeds Girl and I know each other, so uh, that's why I called her Nikki because that's actually her name. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, that's all right. Um, yeah, no, um, with, with um, Dad not being able to go, um, it actually allowed my sister-in-law to go too. So, yeah, we, we had a bit of a family day, so it was nice. Seeds Girl, tell us what you thought of the game on Saturday. Oh, don't ask her that. We'll be here for three uh, hours. Um, what like what like what's been said is a uh, fantastic um, first half. Um, probably the last three minutes of the second quarter, I could see things not going the way they should be. Um, but yeah, the second half just uh, a um, a bit of a disaster. Um, as soon as Petrarca went in the middle, we had no one to follow him. Um, you know, um, it very much changed with Petrarca going in the middle. So, um, yeah. Also, Petrarca was very dangerous up forward as well. Yes, yeah, he was. Um, but he was doing a lot more damage in that midfield than he was in that forward line. Yeah, he's not a bad player, yeah, well, actually, is he? Well, he's, a, he's a star, isn't he? Ah, uh, he's just silky smooth. Um, very cool. Um, yeah, I one of my I rate him highly as a player. Um, I actually rate him higher than Oliver. So yeah. yeah if, you get, if you could only take one, it'd be a it'd be a toss of the coin. I, I I'm a big fan of Clayton Oliver. But, oh, uh, taking, sorry, I'll be taking Petrarca straight away. Yeah. I'm I'm a feed. I'd go for Oliver because he's the workhorse, and and he just never lets you down. Yeah, you, you wouldn't go wrong with either of them, though, I don't reckon. But, but he wasn't cool. really performing until they started getting on top either, so... It's not because uh, Petrarca is a better-looking one, is it, Siege Girl? <laughs> Absolutely, everything to do with that. Well, no, no, well, um, I, I watch AFL 360, and he's quite intelligent on that, um, so I do tend to rate him not just a footballer, but as a football mind. Um, but yeah, no, um, yeah, so yeah, there was a funny incident at the footy, which was quite funny that happened between me and Petrarca, but I'll leave that there. Very good. Thank you, Nikki. I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Uh, very good. And that's just a reminder. If anyone else wants to have something to say, uh, feel free during the course of the evening. Mac, let's have a look at some um, head-to-head stats, shall we? Set this up. Alrighty. Um, so, dispose of 342, 369. Not that big a disparity, really. Um, uh, inside 50s, 46 to 52, which wasn't too bad. Disposal efficiency for both teams was down. Um, it wasn't that bad a day, so uh, just indicative of the pressure, I think, that both teams yeah. were putting each other under, um, that disposal efficiency was down. Um, yeah. Contested posies, pretty much the same. Um, con- uncontested Melbourne slightly on top there uh, by about uh, 
or just under 30, um, so they did get the ball on the outside a little bit easier than we did. Turnovers were pretty much similar. Um, hitouts, as you said, the disparity in hitouts was ridiculous, 57 to 13, but um, as Goodman pointed out, you just instruct your uh, midfield to ruck to the opposition ruckman, and then it kind of nullifies that, and that's where I don't think we we threw enough looks at, um, at Melbourne's midfield. I think we could have used... Uh, I um, Phil thought more. I think he only attended four CBAs um, for the day. Um, so I think we could have used Riley a bit more just to change up the configuration a bit. I think um, we could have also had O'Brien coming in from different angles. Um, we had a little patch there where we, as I mentioned before, where we're getting Schomburg free, but we seemed to be one trick ponies. As soon as Melbourne started covering that, we didn't have a second option. So it kind of showed up O'Brien's limitations in terms of his rucking ability, don't you think? I think he's very limited as a ruckman uh, because, you know, the idea of a ruckman is not just to jump up and hit the other player. It's actually to get a hand onto the ball and and already have a a prearranged plan of where he's going to hit the ball so the other players know uh, what to do. Um, I I don't think Rob's got anything like that in his, his kit bag at all. If he says it, he's certainly not doing it. Um, you know, he, he had 16 effective hitouts, uh, and this is out of 48 that he had. So one in three got to a, one of our players, and that's probably more the players' good effort than Rob putting it down their throat. And yeah. It's, you know, having played on ball, you know, the, it, it's beautiful when you've got a ruckman who can actually tell you where he's going to hit the ball and actually do it. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he makes you look good. Um, when it's really him doing it. And unfortunately, Rob's not that man. Um, no. Look, he tries. He gives you 100% of what he's got, but it's not enough. Yeah. I um, I said a few podcasts back that O'Brien taps it to his to the spot that's most convenient for him, um, which is usually straight in front of him or over his, over his left shoulder sometimes. But... Uh, he will, doesn't matter which way the ball's going, it's whichever way he's facing is basically where the ball goes. So um, he's very easy to, to um, like, you don't have to read him very hard. So for an opposition to ruck, to row from him, it's not a difficult thing. Uh, clearances, um, 12 to 14 in the middle and 22-25 around the ground. Um, not a bad effort considering the differences in pedigree of the two midfields I thought um, Marks 80 to 99 they certainly did us aerially um, 8 to 15 inside 50 disappointing considering uh, the selection uh, of the third tall uh, I would have expected that we might have had a few more marks up forward um, certainly after a hot start Tex fell away um, Darcy tried very hard but was held aerially um, and Riley just isn't an aerial force up forward in contested situations at the moment. Well, really, he's a compound out there, Fiend. Uh, Lever had seven intercepts and May 11. So, uh, I mean, that's 18. So, well, I mean, look. That how, reinforces how, your point. How many times have I said that we're always one possession short going in a forward 50? So, at our 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 um, entries are too shallow and they go exactly where the intercept player is, whether it be Tom Stewart for Geelong 
or Jake Lever for Melbourne or bloody whoever it was for St Kilda that I've forgotten now, Brad Hill maybe, or oh, I can't remember. But we we do not seem to learn. Now, and there are teams like Geelong play the same way every time we play them. Melbourne play the same way every time we play them. And we do not seem to put any thought into our forward entries. I would I would kill to be the forward line coach down there because I reckon just about anyone could be the forward line coach down there and get better bloody results than what we're getting at the moment because we there is just no connection between our midfield transition and our forward entries. It's, it's, it's actually driving me insane because it's not a difficult thing. Well, the other teams make it easy enough, Ian. We, we make it look very, very difficult. It's that it's really that sh- that shallow entry that, that you say oh, around the corner mark. It kills you every time. Fucking drives me crazy, Mac. It really does. Sorry for the language, but it really does. And we've got two of the best leading forwards in the competition. Taylor Walker is probably second only to to um, um, Hawkins at the moment in terms of being. Uh, an absolute bull on the lead, right? And we just don't use that advantage. We don't run patterns, and we don't spread across lanes when we go when we're transitioning the ball. We're always down the one lane, so we draw all the congestion to one side, and then we kick it to that area of congestion instead of drawing the congestion to the one side, switching lanes and kicking to the open side and letting a Darcy Fogarty. Or a, or a text walker run into some space, we just continually kick it on people's heads. And half the time, we're too shallow and our blokes are playing too deep and, then, and they don't even make a contest. It absolutely drives me nuts. It's so fundamental, Mecca. It is. And I thought we compounded a little bit, our, our loss a little bit, by the fact that the, this is where I want to have a go at Nick's in the sense that he moved Dawson up into, the, into that pack where the ball gets bombed into. Now, yeah. Dawson did get managed to get a goal, yeah. but in that last quarter when uh, he he was wait, he sat there for so long and just wasting uh, the best player on the ground, he was just wasted just sitting there. And uh, in the meantime, Melbourne was scoring goals, and I thought to myself, this is just madness. Eventually he brought him out, but too late. I. It really bugs me how Nix is using Dawson, and I mentioned this with Mick last week. That, and at, at one stage during the towards the end of the season, Macca, maybe around trade time, we'll we'll have a look at our squad, and we'll name a team where we feel like every player is playing in their best position, and if there's no good player in that position, we'll leave it blank. And I, I like Geordie Dawson is is. A dead set wingman, right? Hundred percent dead set wingman. You want him getting the ball forward of centre and kicking those darts into forward fifty, right? Yeah. He's been fantastic behind the ball this year, but in the process, the knock on effect is that Duday has had to play too tall, and we've actually killed Duday's ability to be an intercept defender. Now, whether that's because Duday is injured and um, you know, his his hand or his wrist or whatever the hell he's carrying is is not allowing him to be effective in that role. If today is injured, then play bloody Billy Frampton as the bloody intercept defender for God's sakes. Billy Frampton has shown that as a as a third 
third tool option uh, whose job is to intercept mark and deliver instead of being um, accountable for a, for a key defensive uh, key forward uh, he can actually do that so why not have butts and murray as your key defensive posts and have frampton as your third man up where frampton can just run in without accountability which is what frampton can do you know we we haven't even tried it so we basically sacrificed dawson for large parts of the game in a, in a role that Yes, he's good at, but all he's doing is stopping them scoring. He's not actually been involved in huge amounts of our scoring chains because he's been played too deep on the ground. Yeah, look, and uh, to his credit, he just plays well wherever you put him, but, yeah, you've got to put him where he's the most effective, and you're quite right, Dean. Yeah, well, Well, where he's... If you want to make yourselves hard to, to play against, then you've got to play blokes like Dawson in the positions that are going to cause the most pain for the opposition. Now, Dawson is a pain in the neck, surely, for opposition players playing, uh, opposition teams playing across half-back, but it's not insurmountable, right? Whereas if you put Dawson on a wing, all of a sudden you, you're actually having to worry about him because he's having more influence on the scoreboard um, from from our perspective. So, I don't know. Anyway, we'll go, we'll go to no, individuals no, a bit more in a minute. No, no, we'll say about... Dawson playing in defence um, is that at least when he's back there, the defence looks organised. And um, uh, yes, I prefer. You're right that he'd it'd be better for us to play on a wing. But at, at the moment, Tom Duday, who should be the organiser back there, he's not in the best of form, and um, it only just looks good when Dawson goes back. Yeah, but what else have we tried, Mac? Oh, look, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. But we have to try other things. We have to. to me, to me, and just straying off the thing a little bit, this is something that occurred to me before. When Nick's first started, right, in the first year and a half, two years maybe, one of his one of the things that he used to say consistently is he wants to be able to uh, allow players to show their weapons. Remember, that used to be one of the things he used to say consistently. Right, he wants to put players in positions where they can show their weapons, but in the last twelve months, he has changed that one eighty degrees because he is now not doing that. He is now not putting players in positions where they can be um, showing off their weapons and being uh, the most problem for the opposition. Because if he was, Jordan Dawson would be on a wing. What he's doing now is coaching the team to not lose by too much and by putting blokes like Dawson uh, in Brent Riley's old role as an unaccountable halfback flanker, an inset yeah, marker. Good. Yeah, good point. Well, we, we spent two weeks of the trade period uh, and gave up a, a first-round pick to get Geordie into the club, and we had to convince Geordie to come here, and I'm sure the dream that got sold to Geordie wasn't, oh, you're going to play loose in defence. Surely no, he was actually told he was going to be playing uh, midfield and uh, maybe up forward. Hundred percent, and here we are. And you reckon Geordie'd be happy? I wouldn't be. Well, well, I think he. Uh, I think uh, he's the type of footballer, and I've watched him right from the first, his very first game. He's the type of footballer that just seems happy to play where, wherever he's put because he gives a hundred percent. He's just an honest player. Oh, no doubt about it. 
That about it. Uh, Tommy, but that doesn't make it right, Matt. Tommy in the chat says Hinge is the inset halfback flanker. I actually agree with you, Tommy. I reckon Mitch Hinge is very much developing into that kind of player. <coughs> um, Tom Duday, if we actually let him play the role that he's supposed to be playing, which is a third tool, not a second tool, then yeah. um, then he would still be that player. I think Tom actually needs a spell because I, I, it just doesn't look right to me. Um, there's something going on with his wrist or his hand or whatever. I'd love to understand what that is. Um, but just putting Dawson back there as cheat code, in my, in my view, uh, it's the easier option, and Nix is covering his ass by doing it. He shouldn't be. He should be trying other things. We've got Josh Worrell in the twos. He had a really good vein of form. Who could have been tried in a role uh, down back wasn't tried. And should, should have been. We've got James Borlase. Now you know some of these kids. They haven't been setting the world on fire in the twos, but they have been playing badly in the twos either. And we're in a rebuild for God's sake. So you've got to try things. At the moment, there's a there's a sameness about Adelaide that suggests. Our best 22 is set, and there's just absolutely no reason why our best 22 should be set right now. You know, there's no reason for it. It's, it clearly can't be set. We don't have a team that can contend yet, so you can't have a settled lineup, in my view. It's not logical. Oh, I agree with you, thing. Anyway, uh, tackles 76 65 in our favour, uh, tackles inside 50 11 apiece. One uh, percent is thirty-nine to forty-seven. I don't know what that measures. Um, so you know, statistically, uh, you know, not dissimilar um, in terms of uh, you know, there wasn't anything glaring. Um, I didn't think that stood out, um, but it was just basically um, their class when they had the ball. Uh, you know, we made some fundamental mistakes. I thought Mac that. Um, a team like Melbourne will get you on every time. You know, poor old Nick Murray letting a couple get behind him, uh, and he has to get better at that. He, If he's going to make a contest, he's got to kill the contest. He can't let the ball go over the back. Um, and he's, he does that. It's a, a trait of his that uh, he has to get out of because it costs us a couple he's of goals. Got, he's got a lot to learn. I, I, there's things I like about Murray, and... And what I really like about him is the fact that he's aggressive, he's uh, physical, he's not frightened, he'll have, a, he'll have a crack, but the thing is he's not skilled and he, he needs a lot of work in terms of how to play that position and uh, also just to get his basic uh, ideas of how to be a proper defender. He needs yeah. a lot of work put into him. Yeah, we've got uh, someone else on, on board, Matt, tonight. Uh, Tomo, I don't think we've had you on before. How are you going? Hello, Fiend and Macca. Um, pretty good, yeah. Nice to see you come aboard, Tomo. Tell us all about it, mate. Um, I actually was going to talk about Dawson and Hinge. Um, go, stole go it a little it. bit with the intercept role. I don't think Hinge is a wingman. I think he should be playing that halfback intercept role. Agreed. With Dawson on the wing. And then, if needed, you can have Dawson rotating back, as he does, but I want him pro- uh, primarily on the wing. And I also liked Miller on the wing in the fourth quarter. Well, interesting you mentioned Miller because I reckon off memory that he only had um, 11 possessions up to three-quarter time and um, he got nine in the last quarter when he was moved up there. So um, that sort of uh, backs up your point. 
Yeah, I just I just can't believe the coaches are still persisting with Haley on the wing because he got absolutely killed by Langdon all game. And Melbourne were just going right through Langdon, Langdon the entire game, and that's how where they got most of their scores from, just off his speed. Great point, Tom. I was going to actually raise that because of the fact that um, much as I like Jackson Haley, he, he's only a ability to play in our team is if he plays uh, as a tall mid. But on the wing there, he is getting slaughtered because he is slow afoot. And uh, on the weekend, he stood the fastest bloke on the ground. So, I mean, yeah, you, you're 100% uh, spot on, mate. Very good call. Yeah. Um, I was actually really grateful of the midfield rotation for the first two quarters. I thought it was really... I mean, it showed a completely different dynamic. I like that. Um, and one last point on just Barry being... He's really explosive, Barry, watching that, watching the game live. I was really impressed with him. It's just his kicking was a bit shocking today, but... Sorry, yesterday. Well, I think with um, Barry... Barry... I think he had about 20 possessions and about uh, was it 12 or 13 yeah. tackles. Um, yeah. So the guy really puts in, and the, it's that last finishing bit that he's got to improve. So, Tom, you'd be right on all three things, mate. I think Sam um, Sam just needs a little bit of composure. Um, by foot, He's actually not a bad kick, but um, he gets a bit rushed sometimes, I think. Um, yeah. But um, he's certainly uh, he's a two hundred game player for us in that midfield rotation because he's an absolute bulldog. He doesn't stop trying. He puts physical hurt on blokes, and it's like he's only two years into his career, and he's already leading stats in pressure acts and and all the rest of it in the league. For goodness sakes, um, you know, get a get a bit more into his legs and and. Burjo maybe just getting his burst speed up a little bit so he can get a little bit more separation and allow him to settle over his over his kicks and I reckon he'll be an absolute gun. Yep, that's really all I had to say. Oh, well, actually, one more thing. Um, with mainly Rochelle and Phil Thorpe, I really feel like they're getting in their heads a bit too much. Yep. I think watching the game... I really felt Phil Thorpe, at least from what I noticed, is really in his own head and just is completely lacking confidence. Really, Tom, you're a very astute uh, caller, mate. Um, I'm a bit worried you might get my job. Um, you're, you're 100% right. You know, Rochelle is the same. They, if you go back to that Rochelle, when he played his first two games, you thought, this is going to be the best player in our team by far. Yeah, pure and, instinct. And yet... If you look at the Rochelle, the way he played on the weekend, I'm not sure whether he had what, four touches, five touches, something miserable. Um, and uh, it's a, and the same uh, with Phil Thorpe. He was a five-goal uh, uh, on his debut. Um, I just thought, you know, this, is, this is absolutely brilliant. But again, you know, um, he's playing nowhere near that when he first came in. And it's all in the head. You, you did right. It's all in the brain. Yeah, so that was that was my points, and I just I still don't know what filth is going to be. Some people want him as a key. I am more for him being more try and get him as much like Paddy Ryder as possible is what I think is the type of player we should be looking at. Someone who's really good in the rock, also can go forward if needed. I'm, I think that's where he ends up. Tom. Uh, get rid of Nixie and uh, bring Tomo around. Yeah, I, I reckon. Uh, I think that's where Thorpe ends up. Time. It might take him a few years to get to uh, 
to that, but I think he is probably a genuine ruckman who can play forward uh, rather than the other way around. Um, and having his skills um, around the ground as a ruckman will be invaluable. Um, and he will, you know, on, if he continues to improve as projected, he'll be one of the premier ruckmen in the comp in uh, in a couple of years' time if we don't coach it out of him. Well, something's happened with Rochelle because when he first couple of games uh, he played, he wanted he wanted every ball that went up there to be his ball. At the moment, he's playing as if I'll watch everybody else get the ball. Well, does yeah. that uh, does that indicate Macca, uh, what something of what I was maybe referring to earlier in the podcast about there being maybe a little bit of a disconnect between the seniors and the juniors? It, it could well be that, or it could be that um, uh, it's just too hard for a young player to. Uh, and I know that Dacos is an exception. Um, but too hard for a young lad uh, to come in at that level and they've got massive enthusiasm but to, and they do well and then very hard for them to maintain that standard and then they may get down on themselves and once you get down on yourself as a player, there's only one direction you'll go and that's down. Well, we had this, we had this um, debate last week um, and Mick, I'll get you on in a sec. Um, and... Um, you know, on the one hand, you could think that maybe it was resilience, and I put that up as a as a possibility. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you, I think I think it's actually um, one of the fundamental issues that Nix is going to face over the next twelve months. As I mentioned before, I, I think trust between players and coach is a big thing, but trust by the coaches towards players is a massive thing. If a player doesn't feel like the coach trusts him, then he will not be mentally 100%. And at the moment, I think there'd be some players in the Adelaide team who feel who would feel that the coach doesn't necessarily trust their abilities, doesn't trust them to do a role. And uh, I wouldn't mind... I wouldn't mind betting that Joshua Shelley fits in that category. I would say that Joshua Shelley would feel that he can do more, and I think that perhaps he's been asked to play a very specific role at uh, Adelaide in the current configuration, and perhaps he is more suited to be given a bit of a license to say, you know, go and get the ball and do something with it. I see Rochelle exactly as that as a player who has no restrictions put on him because uh, he has, he's got a very good football brain. He showed that in his first couple of games. I mean, you just can't walk into AFL footing and do that unless you're good. So, but at the moment, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's, he's role-playing and, and, and role-playing is just killing him. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's Robbie Gray-like. Yeah, yeah Robbie Gray, he, he doesn't play to any, anybody in his instruction. He just does his own thing. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tomo. Good input, mate. Nice to have you on board. Good work, Tomo. Yeah, good work, Tomo. Right, we got uh, your uh, your your biggest um, threat, Macca. Now, Mick, how are you going, Mick? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Good to hear you again, Macca. Ah, uh, mate, good. Uh, tell me, you did very, very well uh, last week, and uh, well done, mate. Uh, just a poor one from the seconds to cover you, mate. <laughs> um, got a couple of questions for you. Learned gentleman. 
How many games would you say people have to play before they start um, having the confidence to pull off the kicks that you require them to and actually settle down and um, really start finding their straps in the AFL? Oh, you're leading here, yeah. Mick. Just make your point, Mick. Don't be a bastard. <laughs> well, I was just thinking that usually people say between 50 and 70 before they actually start hitting their straps. How many games has uh, Nick Dacos played? Weekend, oh, yes. You, you, you come across a freak. How many of them have you seen, Thane? Uh, yeah, a few. A freak. Usually Jason. in the first round, there's a fair right. few. Jason Horn Francis, uh, Patrick Dangerfield. Well, he's not exactly pulling off exactly, exactly the same as, uh, as um, Dacos. Sure. Well, he's had a couple of yeah, games like um, Dacos. Anyway, go on. Make your point. We've got a, we had eleven players on the ground on the weekend that have played under fifty games. Good we had a further we had a further six that have played less than eighty five games, including what's, Ben Keys at at, at eighty three. What's the point, Mick? Um, you start talking about you know, and I was what made me actually do this study because I started to grit my teeth with all the um, you know everything shit. Sack the coach. Comments who, who, that were going on. Hang, hang on. Um, in, when in, was in the chat? In the, no, not you. In the chat. Thanks. Okay. The chat. Righto. Yeah. Um, I think it's such a young list as that. As I said last weekend, they start off at a more basic level of what the the game plan will eventually turn into, and for to be where we are with 11 players that have played under 50 games, to take the current, um, you know, the the current side that's number one in the league. They won last year's grand final. And to take them as far and push them as far as we did, I don't think we can sit here and say we did that badly. Who, who do you think? Who do you think we're pointing the fingers at when when it comes to reasons why we probably um, uh, didn't win? I, yes, our more senior players, and I I agree. I don't I don't think Rob is our is our future. And I said that last weekend. I think you know, I'd love to see Phil Thorpe in the ruck. I said that last weekend, mate. I'm not we're, saying, but I'm not. We're not blaming so the young having kids. A, having a, Having a a go at you, Fee, or a go at Macca. I'm more oh, saying about fired up. Come on. stuff I'm seeing <laughs> in the chat and and elsewhere. It's starting. You know, we said three years ago when we start, when uh, this rebuild started that it was going to take a few years, and the uh, the Adelaide Crows fans have to realise that this is a rebuild, and it's going to take time. And, you know, we were mature and we were going to, you know, give the club time. And, you know, the previous administration had had um, undersold us and, you know, thought we couldn't, you know, be mature and watch a, a rebuild go. Well, some of the comments that I've seen tonight and some of the comments I've seen elsewhere makes me believe that maybe they didn't undersell us because there's a lot of people out there you know, raving on about, you know, sack this person, sack that person, and it's just got yeah. to stop. Oh, Mick, I think you're over here. I think you're being a little bit sensitive, to be honest with you, 
because it's always the the uh, squeakiest wheel that gets the most oil. Um, you know, there are 650,000 crowd supporters in Australia. And what you're talking about is maybe 100 people on social media that have got nothing better to do with their time um, that uh, get up and about on Facebook or, t- or Twitter and, and throw... And half of them are probably port supporters just trolling anyway. I think most people who are... Most people who are genuine Adelaide Crows supporters, their biggest gripe about how the rebuild is being handled has got nothing to do with the abilities of the younger players. I think most people are unsettled and confused about the continual selection of certain players at the expense of the development of some other players. You know, the biggest uproar that we've had on social media for ages was about Lockie Murphy getting selected over Tariq Newchurch this week. You know, now... Yeah. Lockie, Murphy, Lockie Murphy isn't a senior player, but he's played 70 games. And we've seen yeah. that he's not a goal scorer. We've seen that the club don't want to play him in the position to which he's most suited, which is basically a, a you know a, a clearance midfielder. So, And his form in the twos didn't really warrant reselection. So um, I think it's a bit disingenuous to... Uh, Look, you're always going to have the mad fringe who throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, you know, and start saying, you know, sack the coach and blah, 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 blah. But I, I would say that most people are comfortable with, with going through a rebuild if that's, in fact, what we're doing. I think the questions that are being asked now is, are the club actually doing a rebuild or are they just letting a, a rebuild happen organically through the passage of time. I don't, well, I'd and say a lot of players that played under 50 games is having a rebuild thing. Well, only because no. there's no option. Only There's no yeah, option. Well, we, don't, we don't have, we don't, you know, we had two players playing in the twos who could have boosted that. Uh, but basically we're, we're a young list, so we're going to have players under 50 games. But it's about where they're played, it's about how they're played, etc., etc. And to me, at the moment, it feels like a rebuild by association rather than any sort of concerted developmental rebuild at the moment. Well, we had a fair, I think we had a fair mix going through the, the, through the, through the midfield this week. Probably so the best we've ever had. Going there. He only played nine games. Probably the best we've um, had all season, Mick, this week. I agree yeah, with that. This, 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 this I was pretty happy with the way the, the midfield operated this week. But Mick, that is the first time they've done that. I'm not disagreeing with that that either. Um, and I, you know, I do not want to see Matt Crouch back in the side. There's no way. Um, Any that none of us do. No, it, it can't Mick. happen. Like it, it, that will put back the so, uh, the rebuild. And something you said earlier, thing before I um, get off tonight, is you said about. Um, Older players coming out and backing Matt Crouch, and they seem to have their own agenda. I've mm. seen that for the last few years. That yeah. this older group, yeah, he's just so far up each other's bums. It's not funny. Oh, they 100%. just can't see that when someone's not playing well, they don't see that. They just want their old mate in the side again, and it, it is—it's a complete boys' club. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah. Well, there is so, a, definitely that there is that element there. There's no doubt about that. And because the ones that who have spoken up for Crouch are are the old, uh, older player. So, um, and yet, if you have a look at what we did on the weekend, and when we just put the younger players through there, and we looked much much better uh, through the midfield. Uh, there was I, very... I love Barry Barry's game on the weekend. I thought it was fantastic. Great. He was, yeah. uh, and I I absolutely adore Saligo as a player. He is yes. going. To going to be one of our very, very best players in the long term. Every time he goes out there, uh, he just gives 100%. And if you have a look at the ground, amount of ground he covers, he, you know, there's other players that have done the wrong thing and left their man on their own. He, he tries to cover his, he tries to cover the other person's, and uh, look, his work rate is fantastic. And uh, look, your point is very valid in, to a degree, in the sense that uh, it's very hard to knock what's going on because of the fact of we're playing a lot of junior players who haven't got a lot of experience behind them. And uh, now and again, though, I think now and again, and that will happen in every side, the coach will make a mistake and put the wrong player in or they won't play the right player because of the, we're talking about, you know, the boys club type thing. And, and, that, and that happens with every football club. My, my main grief about the LA football club is nothing with so much what's going on the field, but the mistakes have been made in the past with sort of the selection of uh, players in draft gone by, which have really put us in a, a situation that we're in. Yeah, I heard a bit of a gripe about that last weekend, Macker, and um, I seem to think that that sort of stopped when uh, Matty Nix comes in, and I don't know whether that was so much um, our recruiters or whether it was our previous coach having too much of a say on who he wanted, because before our previous coach got in, we seemed to be picking well, and then we seemed to be picking well since he left. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is Adelaide Football Club used to have a policy, um, and that happened because of Gary Ayres, um, with, that, um, with that particular draft pick that year, Lawrence Angwin. Um who overrode the, uh, the selection, uh, the, all, the, all the draft people. And uh, they had a, a rule in that uh, the coach couldn't overrule the list committee, that the uh, coach was supposed to tell the list committee what players they wanted, and then they, 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 the, the list committee would come back to the coach and say, this is what we've got for you. And yeah, that didn't happen. And you're quite right. And you're talking about Pike now, aren't you? Pike, yeah. Yeah, Pike overrode the, the, the list committee. Yeah, and I think that was that was one of their, you know, lead up to disasters because if someone's you know, spending all their time on thinking you need this type of player, then, you know, um your coach says, No, we want this type of player, maybe, you know, someone quit slip to the cracks. But you know, I mean that's we can't we can't change that now. We can look at what we've got on our list now. So Mick and I'm actually quite happy with a lot of the ones we see on our list, except some of them are definitely being played out of position. Speaking of which, drop. speaking of which, Mick, when Jackson Haley gets dropped this week for Matty Crouch and Matty Crouch goes straight mm-hmm. back into the middle and we push, I don't know, maybe Harry out to wing or, you know, something like that, um, will you come back on and mm-hmm. say, yeah, Finn, you were right? You. Yeah. You will hear you will hear from me if that does happen, yes, because I will be out there with my pitchfork and burning steak alongside of you, Fane. Good on you, mate. Love your input uh, as always, Mick. Haley needs to go in the mid mids. He can't you know, he's no he's not he's not a winger. He has no. to be a you know, mid well, yeah. rotation. 
Well, he's either midfield rotation or out, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I mean, I can see him. Uh, they used to play him somewhere uh, off of half forward to rest rather than just playing him off the bench. Maybe, you know, I don't know who else. Another midfielder that can they can swap out of the midfield onto the half forward, then on the bench. But there needs to be something there because he, he's not he's not a winger. I mean, he's got the fitness to do the kilometres. I'm not saying he's not, but, you know, you can run run those same amount of K to, the, you know, Kilometre slower than the next person, you're not going anywhere near him, are you? No, he got slaughtered, absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. thanks, and he's Mick. Too good a player. We've seen that three games. He's too good a player to see go to waste. Got to push along, Mick. But thanks very much for your input, mate. Uh, and uh, thanks again well, for last done. week. Much see appreciated. So yeah, nah, well done, mate. Very good. Thanks, Mick. And uh, still plenty of time if other people want to come on and have something to say as well. Everyone's. Uh, input is always appreciated. Mac, let's just quickly whiz through some uh, individuals. I won't go too hard at this. Um, Laird, 32 touches, 16 and 16. He had nine tackles, six clearances, 560 metres gained, uh, nine inside 50s, uh, five score involvements, five intercepts, uh, 11 contested possessions. Um, Low yeah. first quarter, and, and he really revved up for the rest of the game. Yeah, I thought his second half was good. Well, he was out, uh, yeah, no, he was he'd probably our best player in the second half, but um, yeah. he, first, he was very, uh, his first quarter was rather quiet, very quiet by his standards. Second quarter was a bit better, but I thought he was outstanding in the second half. Yeah. Geordie Dawson, 30 touches, 25 and 5, had 10 marks, uh, two tackles, 649 um, metres gained, had seven inside 50s, which is what you want from Geordie. Uh, four score involvements, eight in, uh, intercepts, uh, eight contested possessions. Um, you know, very hard playing a Mr. Fix-It role, band-aid all across the ground, hard to get rhythm in your game. But um, as you mentioned earlier, Mac <coughs> is the sort of player that's no nonsense, no no fuss. Uh, coach tells him where to go and he plays uh, excellently wherever. So good from him. Yeah, uh, Benny Keys. um Benny Key's one of the uh, worst 30 touch performances I've seen. 15 and 15, uh, six tackles, six clearances, 398 metres gained, um, five inside 50s, four score involvements, 15 contested possessions. Um, I feel like we're starting to see some of Ben's limitations really starting to uh, be magnified. Um, he's extremely one sided and. Um, uh, his lack of polish at times is, is really frustrating. Yeah, um, look, he did kick a couple of goals, which was surprising. Um, yeah. uh, and they were pretty good kicks. Uh, he's got, he's got, you know, to be a very good player, he's he's good. Nobody works hard on him. He's the nobody in the side works hard, um, and he gets a ball and. Uh, Often, and often burns it just because of rubbish kicking. Um, he, if he can polish up that side of his game, he can, he can be a good weapon. Yeah, look, maybe. Um, Jake Saligo, excellent. 20 uh, disposals, 9-11, had five marks. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, two tackles. Um, uh, let's have a look. Two inside 50s, two score involvements. Only one at 65% disp- uh, disposal efficiency. Uh, nine contested possessions, just building nicely, Jake. Um, 
will be interesting to see how much he's got left in the tank um, because he's he's working hard inside um, and uh, there's not a lot of him. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him just tail off a little bit in the next couple of weeks. I'll tell you, I, think I loved his game and because and you talk about his efficiency with his disposal. Most of that was because he was in there in uh, getting very, very hard balls. Uh, you know, he was, uh, yeah. uh, you know, under great pressure. So he's in, some of those balls are very hard to, and I, I just love him. I just think he's a great player. Oh, no doubt about it. I'm not having a crack at him at all. All I'm, I guess, saying is that I think that um, I think it, it'll be it'll be a measure of him uh, to see how uh, how far through the season he can get before he starts to uh, run out of steam. Um, I he's, think, improving he's, every, he's improving every week. Thing I know he's improving every week, uh, and he's getting more involved. Or I'm I'm saying it'll be interesting to see how much he can take now that he's more heavily involved in the game before he runs out of puff. It wouldn't surprise me if he tails off in a couple of weeks' time, just from the physical attrition, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, he does. He he, he earned a lot of his balls. He really does. Yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. Um, Tom Diday, 19 touches, 10 and 9, two marks only, 266 metres gained. Um eight intercepts, seven... It just looks a little bit like a deer in the headlights at the moment, Tommy, doesn't he? I, I'm 100% sure he's carrying something. Uh, it's definitely something wrong with him. There's, a, there's no doubt about that. And um, he's not marking the ball like, like with the same authority that he normally did. And uh, and he did have that problem with, the, with his, one of his hands, didn't he? He's still um, got that, I think. He seems to be cupping the ball when he's handballing rather than holding the ball. And he seems mm. to be, like, his ball drop when he kicks it seems to be uh, all over the shop. He's not gripping the ball. And, and I'm sure it's his right hand that's got tape mm. all over it. Um, so, I don't know. He seems to be hampered. Anyway, um, Miller, as you suggested, uh, in that last quarter, um, we got a little bit of a sniff. And, I, look, I think Miller is, is a dead set defensive wingman or or running halfback. He's always looked better when he's running out the ball, in my opinion, Mac. Um, and, uh, running halfback half for me. Yeah. Yeah. So his second half, oh, he got better as the game went on. Sam Berry, as we've already talked about, an absolute ball, 17 touches, 13 tackles, if you don't mind. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, you know, only went at 53% disposal efficiency. Um, and surprisingly, only nine of his possessions were contested. But uh, the amount of hurt he puts on the opposition... I mean, he was tackling big bodies. Uh, Melbourne is a mature list of big-bodied players with, you know, a lot of physical development in them. He's a second-year player who was, you know, matching them, um, you know, tackle for tackle. And uh, just an excellent, excellent game from Sam, I thought, despite the fact that he turned it over a bit. Great game, yeah. Um, Mitch Hinge, I think, is a bit underrated by many people. He's one of my more favourite um, players, um, playing off halfback, 16 uh, touches, 10 and 6, uh, 4 marks, uh, only 221 metres gain. I, I think we could use him a little bit more as an out- outlet um, player across halfback. Um, not sure whether he's 
good enough aerially to be an out-and-out intercept defender, but he's certainly a distributor of halfback. <coughs> Beautiful me. leg on him. Yeah, and uh, I, I, you know, certainly uh, well worth uh, persevering with. Riley O'Brien, we've talked about him. Um, absolute leg up. The, the thing, you know, the thing that pissed me off the most about Riley O'Brien is the fact that, um, you know, uh, Riley O'Brien only took three contested marks for the game and only took five marks in total, Macca. He's by far the tallest man on the ground. He took five marks for the game. Yeah, that's poor. Really you know, poor. At no stage did we see Riley O'Brien really try to stretch them, to really try and impose himself on the game. He should have been the dominant man on the ground. He, he like he should have been offended, Macca, that Melbourne decided that they didn't need to go into the game with a Ruckman. That should have offended him. And he should have absolutely destroyed Melbourne. And an absolute piss-weak effort from Riley O'Brien, in my opinion. Yeah, look, I was disappointed with him in the sense that um, the ruck work, he never hit it to our players. Uh, I mean, uh, one-third of them, his head-out head out went there, or less less than that, or around about that. And as you say, only five marks for the game. Uh, he should have been a, the dominant player on the ground, just about, really. Yep, yep. Luke, Jack- Luke Jackson did that last week. Uh, he stepped up from being a support role to yep. the men on the ground. And um, unfortunately, got a knee injury. But, um, yeah, uh, Riley O'Brien, I, I think what he's giving is all he's got to give. There's no more, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, Paige reckoned I'd, I just hit a blighty on Pittman. <laughs> and it was. It was bloody pathetic. It really was. I mean... Riley gets pissed off when he gets dropped to the twos and has 37 touches and a 1,000 marks or whatever. Um, he should have been just as annoyed and seen just as much of an opportunity when Goodwin decides not to bother taking a ruckman. But he just... Yeah. He, should have, he should have imposed himself on that game. He didn't, he didn't run half enough, hard enough. He wasn't strong enough in the aerial contests. He didn't do enough at ground level. He didn't put himself in a position to be an option anywhere near enough. He didn't make himself difficult to play against at all. At no stage did Riley O'Brien make Simon Goodwin scratch his head and go, shit, what are we going to do about O'Brien? At no stage did Goodwin have to worry about O'Brien for that whole match. It was an absolute get-out-of-jail-free card for them. It was shit That was all. Yep. It was shit house. Um, no time for Riley. I, I'm done with him. Um, Parnell uh, still continuing to build uh, around the edges. Ten and five. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Two tackles. Two twenty six meters gain. Um, I don't know about you, Mac. I like a lot about what Patrick does. Um, well, you can got to judge him on this. He's rolled with Steve standing, <coughs> and he got one goal for the game. Yeah, so, and you, uh, you've well, got to commend well, him for that. Well done by Parnell. Yeah, you got to you got to commend him for that. And um, you know, um, oh, pardon me, I'm starting to lose my voice here. Um, you know, because he's been in in reasonable form too. So uh, you know, he continues to build Patrick um, Brody Smith. On the other hand, oh, just he's stunk it. He's stunk it up, mate. He's stunk it up. Well, um, you know, there's probably. Uh, 
a good case for Brody to be to be dropped, in my opinion. I think, you know, he's had uh, a mixed form this year. He's had some really good games, and then I, since the last head knock that he got, he just seems to have gone downhill. Whether he's lost a bit of interest or uh, a little bit of passion for the game this season, or a bit of desire, or whatever, but. Um, He's not being proactive with his football at all. He's not running very hard. He's not providing many options on the outside. So he's just sitting behind the ball and being reactive. And his disposal was absolutely shocking. So, um, okay, I was going to raise. I was going to raise that for a player of his caliber who's been playing so long. Uh, his disposal, so many. He's actually one of the creators of many of those bombs to the half forward line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and but that's been that's been Brody for the majority of his career. Let's be honest. Yeah, well, he certainly was. I agree with you, but I thought he was at his peak doing it on the weekend. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I, I totally disliked his game. Yeah, um, Harry Schoenberg had an interesting game: fourteen disposals, but only three kicks, um, five tackles. I, f- I felt like it. Harry looked like he was playing uh, with a distinct lack of confidence, um, yeah. but he just seemed to grow into the game a little bit. He had that little purple patch of clearances, um, as I mentioned earlier yeah, in the three. podcast. Um, you know, he had six for the game. Um, seemed to be playing a, a certain role, um, and I hope they persevere with him because I just felt like there were glimpses of him starting to become a little bit more proactive again. And I, I wonder whether he's another one of these players who has, uh, they've overcoached a little bit maybe, and maybe he just needs to be given a little bit of license to play for, for the rest of the year. Well, you, you could well be right because Nix has often come out and said that Harry's got to do this and Harry's got to do that. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, Harry may well be going out there thinking, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, rather than just think, get ball. Yeah. Yeah, Harry last year when he was starting to play really well was playing very instinctively and, um, you know, um, without a what seemed like without a specific role, um, he needs to be around the ball. I don't like him playing on the, on the flanks and the wings. He needs to be around the ball. I do hope they persevere with him. He needs to... You know, he's done his time in the twos. Uh, he's had some good games in the twos without shooting the lights out. Um, but I, I hope they just persevere for the for the last few games of the season. Uh, Jack Hately, um, we've spoken about him, needs to be inside or, Horrible. or uh, you know, that's about it really. The only other role I could see for Jack Hately is as a lead-up high half forward, but um, we're pretty much covered there at the moment. Geordie uh, Butts, I thought, did all right. Um Chase Jones, um, a lot of people banging on about Chase's game. I didn't think it was as horrendous as some. Um, you well, know, a couple of bad turnover he, mistakes. Yeah, and a couple of things. Uh, look, he, I thought the couple of his dashes looked good. Unfortunately, um, he let himself down and he disposed a couple of times very badly. Um, that was, but he wasn't horrible. I mean, uh, he got ten possessions when he came when he came on, and he did, and he does provide speed and movement. Um, and if he can actually get his kicking one hundred percent right all the time, then he'd be then he'd be a bit of a weapon. I will tell you what Jones does, I reckon, Mac. He tries to drill blokes. Don't you reckon? Yes. Like, yeah, like he he's he's got to learn the art of putting the ball into the space, 
and letting a bloke run, run onto it, mm. you know? Uh, he try because as soon as you drill it, you've got to be very precise. If you you've only got you know a couple of meters leeway if you're kicking it at that speed, whereas if you pop it into space, a, a bloke can run onto it. So if he if he just took a bloody a, a yard of pace off his off his passes, I think he might be, and it might actually take a little bit of pressure off him to have to be able to be so precise. I, I, I like a bit about what Jones brings across halfback. He's got to be more uh, consistent, um, and he's got to take those turnovers out of his game. But I think at the moment, if having invested time with him down back, we've got to give him until the end of the season uh, to to really see if he can continue to build, or whether he might end up being, you know, someone who is a first twenty-two. I. I've, I think it's too early to pull the pin on Chase this season. I think we need to give him until the end of the year. That was a great call on his picking, though, Pete. That's that's that where he's going wrong. And if he, as you say, if he just because uh, he he got he got the ball okay and he did it at pace. All he had to do was just steady and just as you say, put it out for them to run into. Then and it would have been valuable. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I just hope if I'm listening to this cast, they might tell him to do that. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, Jimmy Rowe, I'm absolutely done with James Rowe, Mac. I don't want him ever playing for the Crows again. You love him that much? No. Um, he, he did. He did have a stinker. Um, I don't know. He, last week, I thought he played very well. Um, I don't care. Week. Well, he doesn't play really. Where he's named, and I and look, and I don't know whether that's his fault or whether he's told to play there. Um, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I, 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 the thing with with um, Rowe is he got he got picked to be a small forward, right? And you know we've seen glimpses of his footy IQ up the ground and all the rest of it, but he's not a small forward's arsehole. and. The thing that I don't like about him is his, he is soft and he does not do any defensive work whatsoever and he will never be fit enough to do defensive work. He is soft physically and mentally and I don't want him anywhere near a Crows Guernsey. Who would you put in his place? I don't care. No, I, I, in the chat they mentioned Cook and Newchurch. I, I, I still think Cook is a great talent that we should be developing more. And um, uh, if, if he knew that we believe, really believed in him, but I think he he showed he's already showed us he's got lots of ability. Um, I, I'd like to see him develop more. Uh, Newchurch, I also think he should be. We've got nothing to lose now, Pete. I mean, we're not. It doesn't That's really right, matter 100%. where we finish on the ladder. Fact, we're at the stage now; the lower, the better. So. Uh, I'd like to see New Church coming. Yep. Uh, I don't. I don't mind who, but um, James James Rowe is not the answer for the Adelaide Crows, and you know it's a good story and all the rest of it. And well done to him for for being a mature age pickup and all the rest of it. He's just a very good SANFL player. He he is not tough enough. And does not do because the reason why I say it, Macker, is because all through the last, or oh, what, fifteen years or so, that we've been watching the Crows in the last fifteen years, we've consistently been let down by players in big moments, 
right? And I put Brody yep. Smith in this category. I put players like Richie Douglas in this category, Nathan Van Berlo yep. in this category. These blokes that let us down in big moments. And to me, James Rowe is one of those players. He, you cannot trust him. He will go missing I'm, in key moments. I understand exactly where you're coming from, Clay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Riley Thilthorpe, just a young kid making his way in the game. We've already talked about him. He'll be a ruckman down the track. Uh, Tex um, looked good early, and then uh, they changed their configuration down back and, and uh, tightened up a bit on Tex. Then he got a nice big corky and started going up for the ball one-handed again. Um yeah. My thing about Tex is if he's not 100% right next week, please don't play him. Uh, yeah, perfect opportunity. in the game. Uh, that, I thought he was yeah, going very well up until that particular point, and then he really dropped out of the game after that. Because when you do get a corky, you know, having had a corky, you, you can't run. You just can't run. No, no, that's it. Um, if, it does, if it doesn't come up, he needs to have a rest. Um, perfect opportunity to bring Lockie Gallant in. Um, and have a Fogarty Gallant Thilthorpe forward line next week. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, nothing much negative to say about Tex. Uh, you know, early in the game when the, when the game was was uh, was really hot, he was all in amongst it and uh, certainly a key contributor. So well done for him there. Uh, Nick Murray tries his guts out. Uh, hasn't Didn't kill any one of our players this week, so uh, I guess that's a tick. Lockie Murphy, I don't want to spend any more time on him. I'll just put him in the James Rowe category. Uh, Darcy Fogarty, um, still not big numbers. Um, you know, he's had us excited over the last month. I, I felt like he could have done more at times, uh, Macker. And this is, again, the worry that I have about Fogg uh, is that... Uh, yeah, look, in fairness to Fogg, the way the ball was coming, you know, it, it, it didn't give me Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, you're jumping all over me tonight, Mac. Just, just relax Sorry. and let me just let me finish my damn sentence. <laughs> I, I know, I, I know you, you missed a week and you got all this pent up stuff. <laughs> now, look, I agree with you. I, I don't think he had a huge amount of opportunities. Um, I, I did my my fear with Darcy is he had that little purple patch. I don't want him to rest on his laurels. He needs to continue to build because the game against North Melbourne, he needs to be able to replicate that against the really good sides, you know what I mean? Otherwise, he's just going to be a, a, um, a flat-track bully, and we can't have that. If he's going to pick up the reins from Tex, then he needs to be able to perform in all circumstances. So Darcy cannot be content. He needs to continue to to build and, and grow and develop and get himself involved and I just worried that he may be sat back a little bit again last week. Uh, anyway uh, Josh Rochelle Can I just make yep. one comment there? Sure. I, I don't think whoever would have been playing there would have done well with the way that ball was coming in though see? Um, you know, yeah, they right. set up with Lever uh, firstly and then uh, uh, what's his name May behind that and you know and the, the intercept marks tell, tell the story there that you know yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And also, they put in the chat that after did you know did Fog get a week? No, he didn't. He got a fine, two thousand dollars. Yeah, did Lever get a week? Uh, no, he should have. Got a week for staging. Oh, so, oh, hang on. Somebody says that he did get a week for staging. I he did. <laughs> no, I think that was just a joke. Oh, <laughs> uh, you had me excited, mate. But, oh, um, what, 
It was massive. It was massively staged. Though, did did so, can, did someone see if Pickett got a fine for his uh, for his late gut punch on um, um, Geordie? Was it Geordie? Mm. Charge of striking. Okay. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, Two thousand dollars. There you yep. go. Two thousand dollars sanction. That's about right. I'm glad they did that because it was it was well after the play and it was a thinly disguised gut punch. So I'm glad I'm glad Pickett got got fined as well. Uh, Joshua Shelley. We've already talked about him. Um, do you keep him in, Matt? Sorry. Josh Rochelle, do you keep him in? No, no, I don't. No, no um, you can't say to a lad that he can, he can stay in there with a game like that. And that followed up a poor game the week before and the week before. Any, any opportunity he's had, he, his stats just been so low. You can't play him. Uh, I should saying leave Rochelle, and I'm saying no. That's to, if, if I'm in the twos watching that and seeing this bloke um, get, be, being kept in there on four possessions and five possessions, six possessions, well, no. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be very happy. And that's not going to build team spirit if you're going to play him on when, he, when he's playing poorly and you're playing well in the twos. No, can't do it. Um, I have a slightly different mind. I, I And I 100% agree where you're coming from. Um, <clears throat> I would be inclined to drop Murphy and Rowe and bring in... Cook and Tariq and uh, give Rochelle a bit more licence around the forward line. If we, and yeah, see how he goes. Look, if the, the situation is that he's playing a role and it's not working, then fair enough. But, uh, look, I, I really don't care who they bring up and put into the A-grade side up forward at the moment uh, or in various other spots. And, and, we should be experimenting certain with certain players because um, we've got so many players on our list who haven't haven't been given an opportunity all year, or perhaps never given an opportunity. And yeah. uh, like uh, Wallace was a very classic case of that, and we didn't even bring him in when he was in form. Um, and then you know there's a cutoff coming up pretty quickly, and it's going to be very important for these players' careers. Yeah, uh, Rabbit saying Cook isn't a forward. No, he's not. But I reckon he could play a high forward. Sort of almost wing, um, oh, he, rabbit. He had played high half forward. Yeah, and in his under eighteen year, Cook actually, I think he was averaging a goal a game, just about in his mm. uh, under eighteen season. So it's not as if forward is foreign to him. <clears throat> but I, I'd play him fairly high and have Rochelle and uh, Tariq, um, you know, raising hell, sort of, you know, thirty thirty meters out, uh, and Lockie Child didn't get a run. Um, so I can't comment on that. You know, that's about it uh, for there. I guess uh, what we need to do out of all that lot, Macca, is uh, go to our um, our votes. And no, yes. I haven't and updated you... the table yet because I barely got out of bed all week, so I'll do all it. Right. I'll go first then. Go on. Um, I, I, I like Dawson first. I gave him five. Um, yeah. uh, he played so many different positions and... He just does what the coach tells him to do, and um, no, I, I thought he, he's, he's great. He could have even been better if he wasn't wasted for that little period up full forward. Um, I gave four points to Laird. 
started very slowly, but I thought he was very dominant in the second half. Um, unlike you, I wasn't that down on keys. Uh, I, I I put him in the third position because he did he worked very very hard. He did kick two goals, uh, and he, at least he does set an example in terms of his, his work ethic. I gave two points to Saligo. I thought he's. Twenty disposals. Um, they were very hard earned, most of them. And if you, I reckon uh, if you put a, 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 tra- a tracker on him to see how far he run, he would probably run as far as any other uh, Crows player did. And he, with this, for a first year boy, he's just he's been getting better and better each week. I think he's been outstanding, and I think yep. he's going to, in the long run. He's going to be that good gun midfielder that we really need. Uh, I, I really, really like Saligo. And Barry, I would have had a little bit higher for his disposal. I thought uh, he had 17 disposals, 13 uh, tackles, and uh, look, he is a success. Now all they have to do is get him to refine his kicking, and he's going to be a very good player for us. So it's Dawson for five, Laird for four, Keys for three, Saligo for two, and Barry for one. I gave nothing to Rob because I thought he was he was going up only playing against two tall witches' hats. If you'd have given something to Riley O'Brien, I would have banished you for the rest of the season, Maka. That would have been Nicky levels of ridiculous. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, I gave Geordie five as well. Um, clear, best on ground. I actually gave Sanberry four because uh, um, I just felt like his work inside the contest for four quarters against the most physically developed and uh, physically demanding midfielder in the competition was second to none. He did not stop all game. And, uh, yes, he burnt the ball a bit by hand, but his primary focus was to uh, to get down and dirty at the cold face, and he did that exceptionally well for a second-year player, just exceptional in my opinion. Um, uh, Led um, for his second half, really, I... I wasn't overly uh, convinced in the first half, but he, he did get better in the second half. Um, Saligo, I agree with you, uh, Maka. Uh, everything that is said about Saligo is true. And uh, who did I give one vote to? Shit. I did have someone here ready to give one vote to. Uh, oh, Mitch Hinge. I gave Mitch Hinge. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Mitch Hinge one vote because I just thought he was... Uh, more than serviceable across halfback and uh, it evened out pretty quickly after those first four in my opinion um, I did like Harry's game but he didn't do enough to get a vote um, but uh, it was nice to see Harry back in and uh, getting some proactive uh, touches alright well Mac um, my voice is about to give out we've gone two hours so I reckon uh, we might uh, we might uh, call it a night right there look Thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord and also on YouTube. Uh, I think it was only on J and M on YouTube uh, talk, uh, chatting tonight. But um, uh, thanks for everyone who's listening in. Don't forget, uh, give us a like and subscribe on YouTube if you uh, if you're listening in during the week and you like what you hear. Uh, also, if you're listening in on iTunes uh, and feel so inclined, please drop us a review. It always helps our ranking on the iTunes tables as well. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, and the following week and then I'll be off for two weeks so we'll have to think about what we're going to do there Mac but uh, 
I, I might have to do the. I might have to do an overseas edition of uh, the weekend wrap while I'm away. That'll be interesting. It <laughs> will be interesting. Uh, but in the meantime, we will be back next week. Uh, you reckon we'll get up over the Hawks next week? Uh, I'll say no. Yeah, I reckon we might sneak over the line. I don't reckon we're playing too badly right now. We'll see. But in the meantime, everyone, stay safe, stay happy. Uh, Maka, great to uh, have you on board again. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, to everyone else, we'll see you next week. Yep, not all.